we need a sign off. <laughs> uh, the score is one us zero you. Oh, oh that's no, not very no, welcoming. not you. Like yeah. no, zero like racism. expecting a call and response what, what am i thinking <laughs> <Of course> we're <laughs> black <laughs> good morning well welcome to the score score keepers it is minnesota opera's number one podcast <laughs> one and only podcast one and only podcast well who knows i don't know <laughs> Maybe something something will happen between the time we're recording this and, and now. Um, but we are three Black opera administrators. We are here talking about opera, theater, pop culture, all the things from our Black queer perspective. As always, I am Rocky Jones, and I am joined by my two fabulous, splendiferous co-hosts, Paige Reynolds and Lee Bynum. Hello, Paige and Lee. How are you? Hello. I I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Good. I'm all right. I want I want uh I I, I have a feeling that like Minnesota isn't going to have a springtime and <laughs> I'm kind of down about that. We're going to sk- skip straight to summer. Well, I mean, welcome to DC. <laughs> that's how i grew up so <laughs> okay you right you just you just check me there i should get used to this so i I'm should a, be used to it i should I'm, be used to it <laughs> i mean i'm okay with it how are you lee i am i am just fine today and actually when this episode airs i will have just gotten off a plane from la so i will be really really great um probably would have had some 85 degree weather on my beautifully melanated skin so Mm. i'm going to just project right to that (laughs) well the plan is for me to be in southern california in july so i can't wait to get a little bit of that too (laughs) i'll leave the light on for you oh my goodness gracious can't wait (laughs) (laughs) well so we have an exciting show today We've got a fabulous guest coming up. But first, we were thinking um, that it would be really nice for all of our loyal listeners. There are now a a few thousand of you, which is pretty exciting. (laughs) Um, And shout out to India, as always. Yeah. Holding it down. (laughs) Um, But we haven't had one of those sort of get to know you episodes. Um, in a long time, and we've had a, a influx of new listeners. Um, welcome. We are so happy to have you. Um, but we thought perhaps we would just take this moment, um, you know, 
I think you know what this show is about, but do you really know us? <laughs> Have you taken the time to fall in love with us? <laughs> um, but we thought like maybe from time to time we would pull out an old hat and put some icebreakers in it and um you know just have a little sort of icebreakery get to know you sort of conversation so that actually the three of us could maybe find out some things about each other that we don't know and you all can get to get to know us a little better so what do you all think about that Yay! Yay! No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little scared. I've been a little bit anxious about this because, you know, my, you know, Aquarius moon, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> my Capricorn Venus, you need to earn my love. <laughs> <laughs> Also, like, have I already accidentally revealed a much like enough about myself on this show? I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> I can only imagine some of the things because, like, I just talk. Things just come out of my mouth. I don't know. Just be talking. I don't okay. remember what we talked about like last May. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> but. Today's icebreaker was brought to us by Mr. Lee Bynum. So do you want to introduce? Yeah, I will. The floor is yours. The pleasure is ours. With a super short anecdote that I used to play this a lot as I was getting to know people. And it was oftentimes something I also would do early on dating somebody and just kind of ask them to share some unpopular opinions that they hold because i feel like those kinds of questions will frequently tell you more about a person than when they're talking about their likes or their hobbies um and as i mentioned to Paige and rocky a few days ago i once played it with someone who i actually was really starting to like and the thing that they shared was you know, I don't believe Patti LaBelle can sing. And I thought, oh, this is a useful game because I can tell we are not going to get along. <laughs> we are clearly from a different part of this here universe. Um, can I just ask though, like what was the <laughs> rationale behind that? I, you know, I didn't stay in the conversation very long after that, because once he said it, my mind started going to all of the ways that I could get out of that bar and back onto the A train and back uptown where I clearly needed to be and not spending time with that person. who Was had this a person released. of the global majority? That's what was shocking about it, because oh. I was like, you're black and from Philly. Who is your mother? Like, Wait, what did you what? grow up in your house listening to <laughs> that you have come to this conclusion? Not that you don't like Patti LaBelle, not that you don't enjoy her albums, but the words that the man said to me were, I don't think Patti LaBelle can sing. And I was like, oh, I understand. Excuse me, sir, can you close my tab? Thank you. I was ready to move on immediately at that point of the conversation. Yeah, because for me, I would just have so many questions. I have so <laughs> many questions. <laughs> and I would probably stay on the date just until all of those questions were answered, and then I would get my tab. <laughs> I need to, I need evidence for that one. I need receipts. I need you to, like, which performance of hers did you hear that made you draw that conclusion? Because I could see, like, you know, if somebody were like, 
oh, like, I don't think Rihanna can sing. And you're, you're like, what's the evidence for that? And it's just the clip of her singing Hero. And that's the only Get, Rihanna song it, that they had ever it, heard. I could be like, okay, I can understand. But have you heard some other things? Let me introduce you to these other things. And I don't, I don't know if there's a Patti LaBelle analog. I don't think there is. There isn't. There Maybe the, the Christmas tree lighting, but she's still singing she, she just beautifully. She just didn't have her backup singers. <laughs> <laughs> and the man wasn't holding the cards how she needed to no. see them. It was a whole thing, and it was clearly not her fault. <laughs> poor thing. Every time I see that. <laughs> it's a Christmas classic. I watch it every year because I am. Where are my background singers? <laughs> <laughs> and you know she laid them out when she oh. got backstage. Talk Absolutely. about somebody's getting fired. <laughs> Maybe we need to put that clip in the show notes for anybody who is not in the know. <laughs> Can do. <laughs> Well, so I have been racking my brain for an unpopular opinion. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I don't think I have a lot of unpopular opinions. A, because I'm basic AF. <laughs> <laughs> and B, again, I'm an Aquarius moon. So everything that I feel is based in logic <laughs> and has sound reasoning behind it. Why would it be unpopular? <laughs> But I did think of one, but I'll let somebody else go first. Yeah, I had the opposite kind of experience. I have so many that I didn't even know which one to bring out. Like, I, I think I should probably just start with the one that is probably the most fundamental to knowing me, which is I do not believe in sports. I do not like them, do not want to hear about them, do not want to see them, do not care about the World Series or the World Cup. It matters not to me who's playing in what games. Do I care that somebody in the NFL signed a contract for a quarter of a billion dollars? I really don't. Like, it's just not my thing. And I think it comes from growing up in a family with a lot of professional athletes who- Really? Yeah, I, I got a- um, unhealthy amount of sports shared with me as a kid um, until I got to assert a little bit more of my own personhood. I went to basketball camp all summer, every summer. There was one particular wow. year in 1989 when I was made to go to a basketball camp um, and meet Michael no. Jordan and threw a tantrum about having to meet him. So at least I can say that I've met Michael Jordan. I probably embarrassed the hell out of my father, God rest his soul, in the process because I know I had an attitude and I know I let it show because I didn't care. Michael Jordan is not Bernadette Peters and I could not make it work in my head that my summer was supposed to be spent throwing a ball at a hoop. Um, what eventually softened that was the boys at basketball camp were much cuter than the boys See, at musical the theater thing. camp. Like I was, I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> that like I understand just a little. <laughs> like, like I understand. Like, okay, you say you don't believe in sports, like you believe that it exists. 
I mean, this is why it's unpopular, right? <laughs> <laughs> but even if you don't enjoy watching the sports or you talking about the sports or the statistics of the sports, as a cisgendered gay man, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, one or two of them are okay looking. I, okay. I will, I will concede that. <laughs> and you know, if as long as they're not in an interview talking about, you know tossing around a ball like I I can follow I'll be interested in it but it's like there's something in my brain that if a conversation for whatever reason takes a turn to the athletic my brain goes and I I, either have to pull out or I've seen it happen I've seen your eyes just die yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay everybody this this is not really what's happening right now and I am just going to shift the conversation to any one of the other things in life we can talk about because I I can't oh my god I, I have such a challenge with it so what about like gay sports like gay sports leagues like gay kickball leagues or drag race that's sport drag race is an art and you know i will go ahead and say this (laughs) (laughs) but you have to be very athletic with all of the death drops and jump splits and whatnot or you can be bianca del rio and not give any of that right like i and that's kind of what i like about the drag stuff there was a time in my life like the michelle kwan christy yamaguchi years where i was super into figure skating because it's essentially ballet on ice and that was the thing i was really into and every once in a while like i will like sit down and watch like venus or serena or you know simone or gabby or one of those kinds of things because i can see like either what appears to me as like beautiful artistry but if that match ends you know and naomi sits down and she's giving an interview talking about her backhand forehand no god like i just have to say that <laughs> i'm not here for that part but i'm i'm legitimately working on it right like at some point i want people to be able to be in my presence have a 30 40 second conversation about sports and not feel angry about it not there yet but working <laughs> I mean, I get it. I have a complicated relationship with sports as well. And just the heteronormativity of it all. Like when I was a kid, like I was like little, you know, skinny little gay kid that just wanted to take piano lessons. <laughs> and my dad was like captain of the everything team in high school, like cross country and baseball and all of these things. And president of his frat and all of this business and I, so like I was I was born to the straightest man on earth <laughs> <laughs> and I was expected to play like you know baseball and football and all of those things and I had no interest and no talent for it whatsoever <laughs> still my hand-eye coordinate hand-eye foot coordination no honey no, absolutely not. <laughs> I can dance, but no, I'm not kicking things or throwing things. Like that's that's just not that's just not my ministry. Um, but what I did find was that like when I was like a teenager and like kind of closeted, I would be very much like you know I was I was very into like fashion and very into you know film mm-hmm. and pop culture mm-hmm. and music and 
Fiona Apple specifically. <laughs> oh yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. But like people, like you know, would be like, "Oh, you're gay, you're whatever," and I'd be like, "Um, excuse me, can a straight man <laughs> defy stereotypes and enjoy musical theater and opera? I am breaking down barriers, honey." <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is for all of you okay <laughs> but then once I came out and like you know started to get to know myself another huge part of my personality is that I am like the most competitive person that you know I am the, <laughs> I am the person that will flip the table if I'm losing at Monopoly and everyone knows <laughs> and one day what what happened was like some a group of straight men that I'm friends with had their little fantasy football league or whatever. And um, my friend Neil works for the, or he used to work for um, some international NGO or something like that. And he got um, transferred to Egypt. And he was like, I'm not going to be able to run my fantasy football team from Egypt. Can you take it over for me? You're the only person that who's not in the league who I trust Mm -hmm. and I was like well honey you know I don't know anything about football or any of these things how do you do this and he was like it's easy you'll figure it out he gave me some pointers and I proceeded to lose over and over and over (laughs) again forget that it was happening whatever (laughs) and to the point where like we were in last place and then another person in the league emailed me and they were like why don't you trade me all of your best players because you know that you're gonna lose anyway and honey when I say a fire was lit under me (laughs) that's what you don't say (laughs) and I took that team all the way to fifth place I learned all of the football things. I learned all the football terms. I learned all the teams, all the players and what they do. God bless you. (laughs) I took that team all the way to fifth place. We just missed out on the playoffs. I did well enough that the next year they gave me my own team and I won. Yeah. So, (laughs) yes. And I did it for all the queers. (laughs) But what it taught me was that, like, I spent all of this time, like, rejecting sports, like, no, I don't want this. But, like, actually, it's kind of fun. And it's kind of fun to, like, go to, like, a bar and drink beer and raw at the screen and all of this. <laughs> it can like, be that fun. like my worst. Nightmare. Okay. Your face. Literally my, worst. <laughs> my fantasy football league is one where all the boys are sitting on the bench reading books. And, and that, that sounds like fantasy football to me. So I, I don't know about it. I could never learn the terms or the names of the team. I can learn the names of the teams. I can't match them with their cities. For instance, I know we have one here. Yes. And that is the accomplishment. <laughs> That's it. Because I know it's <laughs> Do you know what color their jerseys are? Yes, they're purple. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hey, okay. Cool. Okay. There you go. Because <laughs> I love purple. <laughs> well, I feel like you could learn all of the things if you were being fueled by righteous anger, like I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that actually would do it. Yeah. <laughs> or if these bars were like 
champagne bars. You like if there was a Moet bar and they were having a, a football night, I would probably go. You know, that's actually a great idea. Like like a champagne bar mm -hmm. that like have like figure skating on the TV. Yes. And gymnastics. Yes. Doesn't that sound relaxing? Sounds nice. like a a really, really well thought out gay bar. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of seating, low yeah. lighting. Maybe throw some synchronized swimming in there too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gymnastics. <laughs> Did I say gymnastics? Gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> and drag shows on the weekend. There we well, go. Well, there's my retirement career. Oh, Thank you. Solved. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lee hates sports. Yeah. Such a rebel. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I had my unpopular opinion and then I lost it. Oh no, nope. Now I remember what it is because okay. I have been watching, I have been obsessed with this new show, The Gilded Age on yes. HBO. I haven't seen it. I yeah, love you've it. been watching it. It's so good. I it told my really sister is. about it this weekend and she binged all of it in like two days. Like I told her about it and like the next day she was done because she kept <laughs> watching it. <laughs> I love that show, but it brought me to an unpopular opinion possibly about period pieces. Um, because compared um, to shows like uh, Bridgerton, I like stuff like The Gilded Age a lot more. I am not a fan of the period pieces and historical dramas that like ignore race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. or want it to make it some progressive thing or like, hey, we're just gonna mix it up, colorblind cast it or multicultural it and with not much explanation mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. how that happens. Like it has been the thing that has kept me from getting into Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> that plus what I hear about, um, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being shady boots and I just need to try it. But that along with like just the costuming things I hear, I want elaborate costumes. I want historical mm -hmm. accuracy. Mm -hmm. I want detail. And mm -hmm. the Gilded Age is giving me all that, honey. Like it's giving, yes. me, <laughs> Those it's giving me all of that. It's giving me like inclusion of like a black girl who has a story that makes sense for a black person, mm -hmm. but she's also not a victim. Like. Mm -hmm. It's so, I, that is so much more interesting to me to, cause there are real cases of like us being everywhere. We've been everywhere throughout yeah. history. Yeah. Every historical event just actually tell those stories. I don't, I'm not interested in really the made up utopia and all of that. Cause it just, I, I don't know if it's always giving what people think mm -hmm. it's, it's giving. Like maybe it is giving the inclusion, sure. Like I see myself represented, but I don't necessarily see my story when it's mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Like it feels, it feels like really hollow. It's missing like the nuance of our yeah. of our lives when you just try to come up with some, you know, <laughs> a fictitious environment where like we've transcended race or where it's just not a thing at all and. 
I do think it still works in like cases like uh, The Witcher. I love that show. Um, I love like That's fantasy everything. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, like it works there, like the racial inclusion, the colorblind, like casting, because there's still other societal dynamics that they explain mm-hmm. very well instances of discrimination or, you know, you're dealing with empires versus mm-hmm. common folks or who's considered the indigenous peoples of this area and who just kind of moved in. Like it, it doesn't ignore that those things exist. Um, so to me, it, it, it kind of works and it's clearly a fantasy world right. <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a truly like fantasy fantasy world but if you gonna do something that's supposed to be like the historical fiction kind of thing and like no fantasy like uh, um no i need you to explain that black girl story i need you to explain that asian person mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. like i need their identity to be a part of the story like because that's how real life works yeah. so <laughs> Let- it feels like when they don't do that or trying to make something that honestly just makes white folks comfortable with seeing uh, and being able to say, oh, this is really diverse, you know, mm-hmm. without having to confront any of the more like contentious points of that. So, yeah, that's my opinion. Um, <laughs> y'all gonna have a hard time getting me to watch Bridgerton. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I I also didn't watch Bridgerton and for almost those reasons exactly, which is why I jumped on the Gilded Age. But let me ask you something about what you were suggesting, because this is something that was almost my unpopular opinion. How do you feel about Hamilton? Mm-hmm. We might, should we come back <laughs> on a different show? The gauntlet has been broken. I'll say this. <laughs> Great bars, beautiful bars, wonderful <laughs> hot 16s. I'm logging out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. <sighs> also, Leslie Odom Jr., Jr., honey, you did that. You did that. That song is yours. Beautiful yes, man. Period. Um, yeah, beautiful man. Mm hmm. I got your album, your Christmas album. You did the after Christmas that, after that too. <laughs> it is smooth like butter. Okay. Mm-hmm. This voice um, is very pretty. And what's her name? Elise Goldberry. Honey. Yes. Mm-hmm. She Honey. can sing. To the groom, to the groom, to the bride. <laughs> to the bride. <laughs> Girl, like iconic, like actually iconic. Like, <laughs> but the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, you can you can leave it (laughs) i never i i feel like i had to maybe this is part of my unpopular opinion too but like i i feel like i couldn't say that for like Mm -mm. oh no five Mm -mm. six years Mm -mm. (laughs) yeah you can barely say it now that's why we're whispering (laughs) i've I've, I've, i've never gotten it I've never, and people will say like, oh my God, I saw Hamilton and it changed my life forever. And I'm just like, okay, (laughs) great. Me too. (laughs) I have changed. (laughs) I never even actually saw it. I never saw it. Did y'all actually see it? I never, I mean, I never saw it on stage, but you know, I, I, 
heard the soundtrack oh, right, once on or Disney twice. Plus. Yeah. 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 Yep. But like hearing the soundtrack once or twice was enough for me. Yeah. It. I you know. The it, soundtrack. People I'll still kept sing straight through it. To <laughs> 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 <I'll> be honest. <laughs> I, I surprised myself when I couldn't get into it because it's like people of color in theater, a topic about American history, like this sort of immigrant ethos that got painted on top of it. All of the things that I am supposed to find really resonant and all I could hear was what was ahistorical, what was sort of brushing some of the more nuanced racial treatment under the rug, what felt very disconnected to me about having these uh, Black and Asian and Latinx men playing, you know, these slaveholding men and, and sort of never wrestling with some of that. And I don't, I don't know, I had a, I struggled mightily with all of it. Um, and not to take anything away from what Lin-Manuel Miranda did, because I, I mean, he clearly did a thing, including create what is an extraordinary engagement tool for a lot of young kids of color who are thinking about theater. They got exposed to something in a new way, and I certainly appreciate that, but I, I actively didn't get it. And I think if I were to watch it right now, I don't know that I would get it anymore. Like it just doesn't, it, it like ping, ping, like bounces right off my brain in a way that I'm not absorbing whatever I'm supposed to get about it. And it yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to co-opt your no, no, you no. don't like in favor of this, but it, it immediately <laughs> took me there. Yeah. Because it's the other thing that I feel like sort of made it to the world with the sort of ahistorical casting and the sort of interestingness of the costumes and the mm -hmm. anachronistic dance and whatever. And I I just couldn't it just didn't I don't know. I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> yeah. No, Especially when we got to Thomas Jefferson, because oh, Jesus. Oh, I Jesus, remember Jesus. I have I have visited his home, mm -hmm, Monticello. Mm -hmm, like we mm -hmm. went there as a you know a little history lesson on a family vacation once. So <laughs> like I have seen the quarters where he kept enslaved people, and mm -hmm. you just can't get me to go along with that. David yeah. Diggs loved him. He did yeah. a wonderful job at doing yeah. what Delightful he needed actor. to do with that. What did I miss? What did I, you did, you did that. <laughs> you almost made me forget that it was Thomas Jefferson we were talking about. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I'm in the, I'm in the camp of, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm in the camp of Toni Morrison who mm -hmm. uh, funded <laughs> a play uh, called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> <That was> <laughs> Which I think is just wonderful, like petty history. Like I think it's, <laughs> I love to share that she did that, but yeah, she funded it. Cause she was like, this needs some critique. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's just like going back to the the British Bridgerton of it all. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's like you you read like interviews with with Shonda, who I love, and the other creators, and you know they're talking about well, you know, it is historically accurate because like there were black people and you know South Asian folks and you know <laughs> like living in England in the Regency era and some of them were landowners and some of them were titled and da, 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 da. and it's like okay cool but how 
houseway (laughs) 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 and let's tell some of those stories and having like living here in 2022 and being in in an interracial relationship i know for a fact that it's still a very big deal for some people so i i wonder what it would be like in the regency era i i would imagine one or two people would have uh something to say and that Hmm. would affect just one (laughs) (laughs) that would affect um some of these characters and their relationships and lives um and having not seen Bridgerton, I don't know if they do go into that, but it doesn't seem like that's sort of the main thrust, <laughs> wink, wink, of the show. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> and that is that is what gives me pause about sort of jumping into that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just to Paige's earlier point, fantasy is a great place to play Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. with a lot of that and i watch a lot of fantasy i watch a lot of sci-fi because sometimes i want to know do people think black people are going to be in the future let me see what's going on with some of these (laughs) sci-fi shows right and i i get to experience some of that there but i'm not a big fan of having history remixed to me in a way that was like no what was happening right then was that i was not able to drink out of that water fountain right like i will watch certain things and and i feel like when it's not being named it's just not for me like it's clear to me this is for a different audience who has a different project and i just can't i can't get into it like i can't get into sports it's all of a piece (laughs) well i think my unpopular opinion sort of ties a lot of what we've been talking about (laughs) together and I've been having such anxiety about this because it's just like oh does this mean I'm like an alien or a weirdo maybe (laughs) (laughs) but so when I was a kid my mom is a huge reader we have bookshelves on bookshelves of you know all sorts of books And I remember like one day, maybe I must have been like 11 or 12, somewhere in that tween sort of stage. And I was looking at all of the books on our bookcase. I was bored. I was looking for something to read. And it's like, we've got history books. We've got science books. My mom is a a psych major. We've got psych books. We've got self-help books. We've got how-to books. We've got art and photography books. Not one novel, not one. Hmm. And I realized And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen my mother actually like sit down and read a novel, you know, and she, you know, we would watch movies all the time. We would watch, um, she loved her Young and the Restless. (laughs) She she taped it on VHS so she could watch it after dinner. (laughs) But like never a novel. And and I still to this day, like make fun of her, like, you know, because she'll be sitting there reading something about like black holes or something. And I'll be (laughs) like, why don't you chill out and read a novel? And she's just like, it's just not my thing. It's just, I don't, I, it's not my thing. And I have realized that I have become that as I've gotten older, but it's become even like bigger because one of the things that like I don't sit here and say when we're having these conversations like oh watch Abbott Elementary oh watch you know the Gilded Age don't watch Bridgerton don't watch Hamilton (laughs) (laughs) part of me like wants to watch Abbott Elementary part of me wants to like check out the Gilded Age but I find I get so bored so easily by fiction I just kind of don't like fiction 
Like, I would rather watch a documentary. The most fiction I'll go is like The Real Housewives. But the, even then. <laughs> <laughs> and I think part of it is, is, is my time spent in the Columbia University, where you are right now, Lee, <laughs> your background. Um, spending my spending some time in the film department because when I was a kid I was obsessed with movies but then like I saw how all the sausage is made Mm -hmm. and part of my career has been spent in film editing so like I I cannot sit there and watch like something that's like badly edited like a like a dinner scene in the Real Housewives like when the water levels and the glasses keep changing like it's full it's empty it's halfway it's full it's empty my poor husband, I would sit there and be like, look at the glasses! <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just easier for me to just like sit down and just like watch a documentary, like unfold, like watch some sort of real story or like watch, you know, some sort of news program or like get it, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I don't like fiction. My vote is alien. <laughs> Maybe just slightly, just like <laughs> alien-human hybrid. Mutant? Mutant, maybe. Mutant. You know, first of all, thank you for your support. <laughs> so I shared something very personal. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> I think the last movie I saw in theaters was Black Panther. That was 2018, buddy. I know. Wow. Well, there was a pandemic in there, but like, but still. For half of that, yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that. And I enjoyed it very much. And I enjoyed it very, very much. I think there were a couple of like outliers. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy the first five seasons of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Yeah. You know, right around when she, Daenerys, was being lifted by the large group of black people who were saying you are our queen misa misa that's about the time that i was like i'm checked out i'm ready for this to be done <laughs> so thank you i enjoyed <laughs> and yeah no but i don't there's not like a sitcom that i watch regularly there's not a dramatic series that i watch regularly i i actually and and lee i think you might take on bridge I enjoy watching sports on television. Umbridge. <laughs> especially a lot for me that you enjoy watching sports on television over fiction. Yeah. It's true. It's true. We are learning a lot about each other today. It's that. my cross to bear, I suppose. And it's not, I'm not like not open to it, but like, especially now, just with my ADHD combined with my new pandemic brain, like, I just don't have the attention span to sit down and watch a movie. I just don't. <laughs> I understand. Oh, you know what I saw recently that was a excellent um I feel you on the focusing on movies and <laughs> shows part two. That's why I'm very selective. I'll never say that I don't just don't like fiction. No, I'm just selective. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's that I don't, it's not that I don't like it. It's that it's just, it's not my go-to. It's not my favorite. Got you. Got you. <laughs> Have you all heard of this new movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? Mm-hmm. I want to see that Yo. so bad. Go see it. Okay. Oh my gosh. 
that was so good. <laughs> I feel like it may be the best movie I see all year. It, it, wow. it, it probably will be. It was that good. Like just from start to finish, it is a ride, a wild ride, <laughs> but also so endearing. And like, I have never seen anything like that that had Asian characters portrayed in that way and mm -hmm. just like so full but also superheroes but also villains and like also like just ordinary people trying to live their lives and love their families like it was so so good like I see why I think Michelle Yeoh said she cried when she first read the script because she was just like finally like I've been waiting to be seen in this way oh. like finally and i i see why she said that after seeing it so you know if you want something that you want to try a movie theater again <laughs> <laughs> that one was yeah well, i'm i'm going to make a concerted effort to because i do there are some things that i do want to check out like everyone's talking about Al abbott elementary i want to check it out and everyone's talking about everything everywhere all at once. I do want to check that out. So, so maybe I will watch some of these things and I will report back <laughs> my findings. Just one episode, Abbott. Just try one. Just, just okay. one. It's yeah, only 22 minutes. minutes long. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's highly ironic that I work in opera, I guess. <laughs> right. Is yeah. four hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, and there aren't a lot of operatic documentaries. True. I've seen a couple. And they really? were dry. Yeah. yeah. They were real dry. I would imagine. <laughs> well, that was fun, y'all. Breaking Yay! the ice. I think we learned all sorts of new things. I'm an alien, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But that's fine. That's fine. I I will be an alien. It's all good. Um, but we'll keep doing that occasionally. Every couple of weeks, we'll pull another question out of the hat. Um, because that was really fun. Yeah. 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 I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. All right. So now that the ice is broken, it's time <laughs> <laughs> for our next segment. Um, we have a fabulous guest coming up. Um, so we will be right back. All right, everybody, we are back and we have a fabulous guest today. So excited to have mezzo-soprano Mia Athey on the show. Mia is quickly establishing Yay. herself. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Mia is quickly establishing herself as a multifaceted performer who tells stories through opera, musical theater, film, and writing. She's been hailed by Opera News as particularly captivating, with a voice that seems so well suited to slipping between speech and song that when she does let loose, it is enormously gratifying. A native of Hyattsville, Maryland, shout out DMV. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Mia graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor in music and voice from Catholic University of America and completed the music education certificate program. She went on to receive a master of music and voice from the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. And in 2018, she won fourth place in the Three Arts Scholarship Fund in the Vocal Music Division. In 2019, as a first time young artist for the Glimmerglass Festival, she made her operatic debut in the world premiere of Blue as girlfriend and congregant number three while covering The Mother, and she made her dancing debut in Showboat. She then joined us here at Minnesota Opera as a resident artist from 2019 to 2021. In her first season with Minnesota Opera, she portrayed the role of, uh, she portrayed Maid Servant 2 in Electra, but then of course, good old COVID came around. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Mia spent the second half of her first season and her entire second season creating art and music from her Minneapolis apartment, where she created a one-woman showcase of opera and Broadway favorites, which she produced, directed, filmed, choreographed, performed, and edited child. All the <laughs> Oh my God, work. <laughs> that is correct. That is work. Um, and she also virtually participated in Opera in the Outfield, the 2021 Minnesota Opera Virtual Benefit, and covered Nancy in our production of Britain's Albert Herring. After that, she returned to the Glimmerglass Festival stage in the summer of 2021 as a young artist for her third season where she portrayed Phoebe in the world premiere play of The Passion of Mary Cardwell Dawson, starring friend of the pod, Denise Graves, hey. Hey. <laughs> written by Sandra Seaton and composed by Carlos Simon. Uh, she was also uh, featured, a, a, many other credits at Glimmerglass that summer, but she was also featured in her first uh, opera film, um, portraying uh, Aisha McNair in the world premiere of The Knock by Alexandra Vrebeloff and Deborah Brevoort. I hope I'm saying that right. This season, Mia covered Janae Bridges in the world premiere of Written in Stone at Washington Nat National Opera. Uh, in the two operas Rise by Kamala Sankaram and A.M. Holmes, and It All Falls Down by Carlos Simon and Mark Bamuthi-Joseph. And we are now thrilled that she's returned to Minnesota Opera as a guest artist in Bizet's Carmen, where she's singing Mercedes and covering Carmen uh, for Denise Graves' directorial debut, which you can go see right now. Um, it is running at the Ordway um, uh, through May 27th. I believe. Yes, May 22nd. And we couldn't be happier to have you back in Minnesota. We couldn't be happier to have you back to have you on the show. Mia, welcome. Welcome to the score. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. <laughs> so tell us, how is Carmen going? We are so excited. Carmen is an absolute blast. It's definitely a whirlwind. Um, Doing Carmen is really, really special for me because Denise is directing in her directorial debut. Um, and Denise Graves and I go way back. Like I'm talking to when I was 16 years old. Um, I saw her singing on Sesame Street. And um, at that time, my mom was helping me find, um, you know, singers that look like me. Um, uh, I, mm. My mom helped me find opera singers that look like me. And we found Denise Graves. And um, 
I knew everything I could about her. And ever since I saw her on Sesame Street, I was like, man, I want to do that. Like what she's doing, singing Carmen to Elmo. Like this is so awesome. And I didn't know a whole lot about opera. So I reached out to her um, and I sent her an email back on like AOL <laughs> when that was a big thing. And I, I asked her, what do I do? You know, I'm 16 and people are telling me to um, go into opera and this is like, this is so new to me. I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. Like, you know, what, what advice can you give me? And I'll never forget what she said. Um, she said that opera chose her and opera chooses you. And that has always stuck with me. And it stuck, uh, it stuck with me then. And um, here I am now. I, I listened to her advice and I said, well, this chose me, so I'm going to give it a shot. And um, then I sang for her at a master class um, years later, probably about five years later when I was an undergrad. And um, I met her and I had the printout of my email and um, she signed it for me. And I got to sing Mon Coeur for her and uh, from Samson, Samson and Delilah. And it was really, really nice. Um, it was such an amazing experience. Um, then after that, I saw her in another performance, and she knew me by then. <laughs> and uh, then I worked with her at Glimmer Class, and now we're here. So it's it's really awesome to be covering Carmen and to learn from like the master, and um, to learn not only just Carmen but the whole scope of this like opera. Um, it's just been amazing and it's it's been so surreal like honestly it's it's like a dream um and i think i'm not really realizing it but uh i'm trying to take in and uh, soak in all the knowledge that i can from her and it, she's just an amazing person an amazing artist and now an amazing director you know who's also a singer and knows like what we need um, and she's just truly, truly talented. She's just like a, a gold mine of talent and wisdom. Um, and I'm so grateful to be working with her. And it's like a really big full circle moment for me. So it's, I, I truly couldn't be any happier. It's like just walking on cloud nine, like every day. <laughs> Eric Sean Fogle and Denise Graves, they have us doing everything from dancing to fight choreography like I really truly beat up um one of our dancers beat up <laughs> and you know <laughs> no one gets hurt <laughs> um and we're singing uh it's it's everything it's a whole lot in a little under three hours I mean absolutely and you were telling us before we started um recording what a trip it's it is to be back in the Ordway after a couple of years Right. The last time I was in the Ordway was in 2019. And technically, um, I was study covering um, Rosina in the Barbara Seville. And um, I think, yeah, I, it was the last show I saw. I think I was in like the balcony. Um, I think the first here. I'll never forget. Um, and <laughs> now I'm back and it's it's really been surreal just walking in, you know, through those stage doors and, and being back in this place after so much has changed. Like I've changed as an artist, as a person, and it's I'm just so happy to be back. Oh, that's so great. We're so happy to have you here. Um, so one thing that I, I'm curious to ask, 
Um, so as a young artist, you know, you've been here in Minnesota, you've, you know, recently, well, relatively recently sort of, you know, come out of, um, you know, an academic setting. And so just as a young artist so far, you know, being, you know, in the industry sort of, you know, getting, you know, your first, your first jobs, um, how do you feel as though your, um, your racial or ethnic identity um, has sort of shaped your career journey so far in opera? I think that it's, I mean, that's a really great question. Um, it's actually really shaped my career because <clears throat> my operatic debut at Glimmerglass was in blue mm -hmm. and it was an opera with an all black cast. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, that's how I got my start. And I often wonder like, every day. <laughs> right. I'm like, if they did another opera that was like from the repertory, I'm like, would I, you know, would I have been, would it have been the same story? So, um, but, or the same opportunity. So that's really, it's really great how that started. Um, and then, um, and the knock Aisha McNair is, uh, her character is based off of um, a black woman uh, who was married to um, a commander. So it's, yeah, it's actually shaped a lot of uh, my career without really um, realizing it. And then the passion of Mary Cartwell Dawson, it's like all coming. It's like it's someone that has to be, you know, um, African-American. Um, for the folks in the audience, the, the one or two who may not be Mia Athey stands yet and don't know as much <laughs> about your background as we do, maybe you could say a little bit about your ethnic background. And I'm particularly curious because you have worked in the theater and you've also worked in the opera, if that, if you feel like you are accorded different opportunities in the, in the different areas. So uh, I guess one thing about um, this time that we're in, like post-pandemic and post-George Floyd, um, it's, I had um, one of my uh, mentors that told me this, like, it's a great time to be Black. So like apply mm. for everything, you know. Um, <clears throat> but one problem that I do face, um, and this happened both in the, the theater and the opera world, is that people see me and they don't know what race I am. And um, throughout my whole life, people have thought I've been every race, every single one, including white. Actually, recently, um, someone thought I was white, uh, which was interesting. But everyone, you know, we all have different eyes, different lenses. Um, so we see things differently. But um, I had an experience um, when I was uh, auditioning for this one company a while back that... Um, they were, they said they were having every uh, African-American singer read for this certain role. Mm -hmm. So they gave me the sides before I went in and I was super excited because I'm like, ooh, this is an opera and I get to like do this little, like speak a little bit, do this dialogue. And so I sang and it went well. And then they were like, okay, you know, thank you. Like they didn't have me read and I left and I asked one of my friends who was working there, I'm like, what's what's going on? And we sort of realized that they, um, they didn't know I was black, um, which is something that I don't put on my resume, you know, 
but however, in musical theater, I do. I do say that, you know, I'm mixed. I'm African-American and Caucasian um, because I feel like it fits, like they need to know. Mm -hmm. uh, but in opera, I, I'm actually like asking myself, should I put that down? <laughs> Is that something that people need to know? Um, but then on another side of, of this perspective is that I sometimes feel like, for example, I look, a lot of people think I'm Hispanic or Latinx and, um, I have gotten like, um, asked to audition for roles that are for a woman, uh, who is Latinx. And I've always paused because I wasn't sure how to approach this because I, as an artist will approach it with like the utmost respect and not portray a stereotype of any kind. But I'm like, well, how's a person who is Latinx who knows me and is like, well, I know she's, that's not her, you know, her heritage or her background. How are they going to feel? So I started asking some uh, colleagues and friends who are um, different backgrounds, how they would feel. And, um, they seemed okay with it. They weren't, they were like, as long as it's not a white person, you know, portraying, mm -hmm. you know, that. So, um, but I mean, like, for example, if like, uh, my, my costume in Carmen, uh, in act four, like I put it on and I was talking to, uh, Juana, our costume, our amazing costume designer. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, we were like, I look like Frida Kahlo. And it's it's uncanny. Like I will be posting this on my Instagram, so watch it. <laughs> I love like any moment to do like a split screen. I just love it. Um, but yeah, like I would love to portray Frida Kahlo, even though that is not my background because of who you know Frida Kahlo is. Um, and I would portray it with the utmost respect. So, but that's sort of where I sit. Like, for example, there was this um, audition um, and the character was Harriet Tubman. And I was like, they're not going to, they're just, they're not going to hire me. I shouldn't even audition, you know, because I don't look like her. But then what do I do? Because that's, you know, that's my, that's my background. That's my ancestry. That's where I come from. So it's, uh, it's tricky. I think that it's, it's really up to casting directors on all sides from theater to opera um, to, to Broadway to really be aware that people of color come in all different uh, shades. Mm -hmm. um, there's no just one look for someone who's black or, you know, Latinx or, you know, whatever, um, whatever other uh, backgrounds it's, we all, we all look different and we're getting, more according to the census like we're getting more mixed especially like in america so i think it's something we need to really address um because we're sort of leaving people out and it's it's like a it, it's um it's tricky but it's actually i think more of like an education issue um that people just need to to understand but i do want to also say that um since we're talking about colorism, I understand that a person that looks like me who is light skinned, um, I benefit on, I benefit from colorism. Um, I understand that uh, there's a side of colorism where it goes, um, 
it's unfortunate for people who are darker skinned um and that's not that's not my experience but i see it like in certain films <laughs> that won't be named you know um i haven't seen in the heights and i love lin-manuel miranda and i do want to see it but when i saw the um when i saw the preview I immediately was like, everyone looks like light skinned. Everyone's the same, like light skin, and that's not, that's not true. Like I've met people, you know, um, from that uh, who are Latinx, you know, from that area, and you know, it's a whole spectrum of color. So um, that was sort of shocking. Um, so I understand that side of it. Uh, yeah. You know, if I could just follow it up thank you for for saying that because i i think that was a a really important intervention right because the colorism it works in multiple directions and it brings people in in some instances and in other instances it closes off doors and sometimes to your own history right and i right. i've been involved in productions that have cast things and like we are casting something set in antebellum us and there are these whole conversations about who reads as a slave mm -hmm. and who doesn't, right? And I right. think like those yeah. kinds of conversations are often wildly ahistorical, right? <laughs> because the idea that there were lighter complexion slaves should be very familiar to anyone who's read a book, right? right. Um, but then the other piece of it with something like In the Heights, and again, no shade to Lin-Manuel Miranda, hugely talented brother, I really have a huge appreciation for what he did. I lived in Washington Heights for the better part of 10 years and people spoke to me in Spanish every day because any of us could be Afro-Latinx, right? The, the way the diaspora has worked beautifully is that any of us could be Black from any part of the world, right? Um, and I think that really was lost in that moment. And, uh, you know, not to jump on that anti-Rita Moreno bandwagon, but I think that sort of idea that this isn't a thing that we need to deal with right now that people aren't seeing this and being affected by it right now is not quite the right take right right yeah i i wonder what you think about what what casting can do what people who are uh, who are choosing their their seasons and, you know, thinking ahead of time about their casting. Like, what can people do to be more, more thoughtful, more, <laughs> more, more nuanced? Some, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have some ideas and like some books that I would like people to read and <laughs> some documentaries, some movies that they might need to watch. But yeah, what are your, your thoughts on that about how we can, you know, be inclusive and be like not ahistorical? Yeah. Right. I think about this a lot. Um, not not just only as like a, as a performer, but as someone, you know, who is um, mixed, you know, how, because a lot of people don't realize it, you know, I, I, um, I can't speak for all white people, but I do not think they are quite aware of the difference of shade, you know, I think they just say, oh, they're black, you know, <laughs> but, um, and there's, I think it's just, it's, so it's an education thing, but I know that, um, the, the Black Opera Alliance and Opera America had this sort of um, virtual like seminar that I did attend um, and they were, p different people were discussing 
um, people from all different backgrounds were discussing like uh, their experiences and their issues. And I, I guess the answer is to have more of that so people are more aware. Um, I, I wish I had a better answer because <laughs> uh, I really do think about like how to bring that to people's attention. But I think just talking about it um, is probably the best thing. And I know that there's been a lot going on in the past two years and some people may, um, I guess, be tired of hearing it. But my fear is that if we don't keep talking about it, that people will want will forget about it. Um, I know that I saw on Facebook, there was some talk about, you know, some issues that some opera goers and donors at different companies were having with like the diversity and inclusion of casting. Um, and uh, that they're like, they're sort of shocked with all of, I guess, the, uh, the melanin of different shades that, <laughs> uh, that they might see on the stage. Um, and it's sort of shocking because I'm, I'm thinking, all right, we're moving forward. Um, but there, I guess we have to understand there's a lot of people that want to go back because change is sort of hard for, for certain people. But, um, but that's the thing about change. If we look, you know, at the history of, of change, uh, especially of African-Americans in the United States, like it took a lot of time, like the civil rights was a period. It wasn't just a couple of years. Like it took it. We're still doing it. <laughs> it's not over. <laughs> you know, yes. I don't think it's going to end. Right. I think we have to keep, you know, keep going, keep talking about it, keep finding ways to like bring people in, you know, to understand it. Um, and I guess not blame them for not seeing it, but opening people's eyes. I think that, I think that that's the answer. But I'm really curious to know what ideas you have, Paige, and, and what books you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I do, I think of a few things that like have really changed my uh, perspective of colorism. And even one of them isn't like, directly about colorism but I once read this book called uh push out the criminalization of black girls in schools and there's a lot of um data in there about just how it starts so young the colorism they were mm -hmm. comparing like um uh school suspension and things like that amongst like lighter skin black girls versus darker skin black girls and it was just like a clear harsher uh punishments for dark skin um black girls and it even goes all the way to of course the school to prison pipeline and and things like that and so that was one that like really really changed my understanding of just <laughs> how deep it went, or I wouldn't say just changed my understanding, but it also like contextualized a lot of what I saw growing up and and didn't know really how to name mm. really. Yeah, I, I also, um, even though it has some, <laughs> it has some moments that I don't really, don't really like that much, but that documentary, Good Hair <laughs> with Chris Rock. Hey. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has plenty of moments where he's clearly like joking in a not fair way, but it does illuminate as a good, like beginner, beginner example. 
<laughs> beginner example of like how texturism uh plays into things as well and huh, what else what else have I have I read you know what the, the very first thing that explained colorism to me as a child was the movie school days <laughs> by Spike Lee <laughs> that my mother is like she's she's deep dark skin um beautiful she's beautiful she's a chocolate drop and <laughs> so to explain to me and my sister who are my little sister who are both lighter than her and my little sister is even lighter than me um uh she had us watch school days not not the whole thing because we weren't old enough to see the whole thing but just the scene good and bad hair and the kind of duel between the two sororities and you know one is full of mostly lighter skin girls looser curl pattern and the other is mostly darker skin girls kinkier hair texture all of that thing and she was like this is yeah this is kind of reflective of <laughs> of my experience and she even, you know, if you, you know, if you black and you listen to this, you know what I'm talking about, about the stereotypes about AKAs and deltas among the, you know, black Greek mm -hmm. <laughs> organizations. And my mom was explaining how she's a dark skin AKA and how that <laughs> a lot of <laughs> that was not the norm in terms of stereotypes. <laughs> so I think that was like some of my earlier, my earliest education and i mean i do love how films like that through satire can like actually teach us teach us a lot so mm -hmm. yeah watch school days y'all <laughs> and don't forget those lyrics the the song starts off with tisha campbell singing to kime um don't you wish you had hair like this then the boys would give you a kiss right and i think the way they set that whole number up. My mother is also a darker complexioned AKA and our godmother is a <laughs> very fair skinned Delta. So we grew up hearing a lot of about like those kinds of dynamics, right? Yeah. And I think school days as problematic as some of the movie is, it is a probably the best encapsulation of like what that kind of dichotomy is. And I think he did such a great job of casting such beautiful and talented women in both camps to be able to mm -hmm. kind of play out that like the even the idea of one group is supposed to be the conventionally pretty girls and the other group is not was problematized by the the fact that the the women on both sides were so beautiful sorry it's it's like my <laughs> one of my all-time favorite movies i grew up so convinced i was jasmine guy so like there's a way that like <laughs> <laughs> that like I I absolutely love that that scene. I could talk about it all year, but I will drop a link in the the show notes and let people watch it for themselves. <laughs> I thought of another great um example uh the Whitman sisters who were black women. They were well, they were very very fair skinned. Most of them could pass. And they had the longest running and highest paid show on the Black vaudeville circuit um, in the early 1900s. I have a book about them. Um, and uh, I think it's called like the Royalty of Negro Vaudeville or something like that. But what they did is that they like really used their privilege 
and had like a troop of black performers, like who were almost all darker, more darker skin than them. They even went into some spaces, into theaters that normally wouldn't have <laughs> black performers there. And, you know, one of them will put on her little blonde wig and go meet with the managers <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so she would pass and, you know, get them into, you know, spaces where they might not normally be or where they would have very, very different treatment. So I think that they're a great example. I think everyone should read the book about them. And they also use their privilege to like make sure their black performers were treated really well. They even had like young black children who were super talented dancers and stuff. And parents felt comfortable sending them on tour with these sisters because they knew they took really good care of them. And that it was like having a it would be like having a bunch of parents around like they wouldn't let them get taken advantage of because they were black and things like that. So I think it's like a great example of like what that privilege looked like in the 1900s and how people could like weaponize it in other black people's favor and to, you know, make things better for all of us. So check out the witness sisters. Yeah. And Mia, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this too. Um, so I, I shared with you when we chatted a few weeks ago, how fascinating I found your artist showcase last season. I thought it was like, not just a great commercial for you as an artist, but it was also like a, a, a really compelling personal statement about who you are as, as a human being. And it really, really got me thinking about sort of, um, how multifaceted every black performer I know is, right? Like it, and we talk about this a lot on the show. It's not just enough to be as good as your counterparts, but you not only have to be twice as good, most of us um, also seem like we play multiple instruments and we compose and we sing, we dance, do backflips, do surgery, like what have you. And <laughs> watching your, um, your artist project like i also got a really keen sense that you are someone with a lot of musical um knowledge and facility if someone were going to write a show around you hint hint um what kinds of things would you like to be showcased and sort of who would that character be that you're playing ideally wow um that's a Wonderful question. And also, thank you so much for your compliments, Lee. I appreciate it. Um, that showcase was really near and dear to my heart. I was just so glad I could do musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> I had the green light. I was like, yes. Um, but uh, if someone were to do like a show based around me, it, it would definitely be a lot like that showcase there would definitely be opera there would definitely be you know musical theater so when i when i say musical theater i mean belting mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and because i can do like belting i can do like legit which is opera and then mixed so just all of that in there <laughs> um and there would definitely be dancing and there would definitely be poetry because i also write poetry um i write a little bit of everything yes. so yeah, my writing similar to myself as a performer. I do like poetry. I'm working on the um, the second draft of uh, a psychological thriller novel of mine. Oh, what? And yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> oh and um, yeah, I have written a, a novella 
and I'm working on a couple of like short stories because I just I don't have time to write books anymore because <laughs> so have it be as short as possible. <laughs> um, so yeah, there would definitely be like an aspect of my writing in there that I would get to perform, which would be great. And there would definitely be wigs involved, lots of wigs, <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> different looks. And there would definitely be um, a play, a play on gender because I really, I don't know if you guys have seen, but for Halloween, I love dressing up as men. And I love it. Yeah, I have to owe it to opera because of pants roles. Like mm. one of the first roles I did was Carabino. And it was weird at first. I'm like, you want me to, to be a young boy? Like what? <laughs> Why does, how does this not sound like it fits? Um, but yeah, and I just loved it. I love dressing up as a man and, and tapping into that, you know, uh, masculine energy. Um, so yeah, there would definitely be that in there. And yeah, lots of different looks, lots of really cool um, outfits, <laughs> lots of cool costumes. Um, I think I hit on everything. While we started this conversation talking about colorism, I think the idea is that there are stories that aren't being told, right? There, there's sort of nuances, aspects of of our experiences that aren't being captured. And maybe you could share a little bit about what other stories you would like to see the opera telling in in the future. And and also maybe not just limited to opera, right? I know there are theater folks who listen and, the, and all four of us are very invested in the theater as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I um, just like with the conversation that we just had uh, with uh, Paige, um, about colorism, I would love to see an opera like about that, where you have like a cast of, you know, it's all people of color and you have, you can explain this sort of like light skin, you know, darker skin and, you know, explain that to people. Um, that just sort of like a light bulb went off and I'm like, ooh, like that would be great. <laughs> um, or even like an opera about someone that's mixed, you know, um, because it's, it's something I think about. And there's a little project I'm working on. I've been saying I'm working on it. It's been a year. <laughs> it's over like in the corner waiting when I have time. Um, talking about that experience, especially being black and white in America, because there's all kinds of ways to be mixed. But mm -hmm. um, I feel like here in America, it's, it's an experience. Um, and there's times where you can feel, you know, um, included maybe but a lot of times where you can feel excluded like you don't belong like where do i fit you know um and if i did write it i would call it other because i'm so tired of checking that other box under like race let us check more boxes but anyway um but uh another um an aria that i wrote in this program it's called um cupid's itch from if it were an opera expose and it's basically like my take on if don giovanni were a woman you know and a woman having all these different lovers which is something that you hear a little bit about but it's sort of there's a stereotype with that and sort of like empowering it like sort of it being you know sex positive and putting that in a putting a positive spin on it um 
that's something I would like to see in, in the liberation of women. Yeah. Well, that's a, a great start to it. And I'm happy to report I do know someone who is currently writing an opera with colorism as one of the major themes. I am I am not deputized to speak on it, but I will say keep your eyes and ears peeled because from what I've heard of it, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. So, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, that is in our wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't know who it is said, or when it's showing but I will be there to see it <laughs> <laughs> well one thing you said Mia about about checking off more boxes got me thinking you know given your experiences in the industry what you know advice do you have to all of the other biracial or multiracial um, singers librettists designers artists who are coming up in the industry um, you know what do you have any sort of words of wisdom for them or things for them to look out for or just any advice in general? Um, hmm, that's a really good question. Sort of advice that I would like to <laughs> take <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, so my whole life, I've always been asked the question, where are you from? What are you? Mm. So I'm, <laughs> I just answer, I'm a, you know, what are you? Oh, I'm a human. I'm a woman, you know. Uh, <laughs> where are you from? I'm from Maryland. Like, <laughs> to get them to, like, be more specific. Uh, but they were always asking about my ethnicity. I was actually, you know, just um, at the uh, the gala we had. I was at a table with donors, and um, one of my uh, colleagues was there. And he was talking to a donor, but I was talking to another one. And I overheard the donor ask him, is Mia American? And so I was like, oh, wow, like, that's crazy. Because I guess to her, I, I might look like I'm, you know, not, not from here. And I didn't, like, I was already in another conversation. It's one of those moments where you, you, you could just stay where you're in the conversation. And I trust my colleague said, you know, she's from Maryland, you know. <laughs> um, but it's something that it just keeps, it's a question I'm always asked. And I tell people, but I always ask, well, where did you think I was from? And that's where like, I get just a hodgepodge of like, wow, you know, interesting uh, answers. Um, and sometimes like I would get upset. There was like a period I would be like, why can't they just see me as a person? You know, I don't go up to, you know, white colleagues of mine and ask them, where are you from? You know, you look Irish, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. <laughs> um, and I understand, like, I have to understand this is the world we live in. This is a society in the time. And I believe that there will be a time that it will not be the same especially according to um, National Geographic in like 2050, I think there will be a lot of people, there's an article saying how people will look and it'll be very like everyone will almost look the same, like a generation of people, which I find that interesting in America only. Mm -hmm. um, but I would tell other artists that be proud of where you are, um, where you're from, be proud of who you are and where you're from. And if someone asks, you know, tell them with pride, like, try not, don't be offended because it's actually good that they're asking. <laughs> I've been in situations where like, when I was, <laughs> when I was in grad school, there was a gathering of all the black students 
And I found out about it last minute um, and realized that the person gathering all these black students thought I, uh, she didn't even know what I was and she didn't even ask. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, just ask me. Like, that's a moment I'm like, please ask because I want to be at the table, you know, with, you know, all my other uh, black colleagues. So, um, yeah, I would say just be proud and let people know where you're from. And, you know, one thing that's a very big issue, just I would say, I guess in the black community, a lot of people, when I tell them I mix, the first thing is, but you know you're black, right? You're not, you know, you're not checking white, are you? Um, I'm, I'm not in a place where I, it, it's something that like gets me because I did my ancestry and it turns out I'm more European than I am African, but I'll never like, no matter how mixed a person is, like I'll never be able to experience that privilege of being white, you know? Um, so, I might experience, I have experienced privileges of, you know, being mixed and I, God, I hate it because I can see it happening. Um, and my mom taught me at a very young age to notice that, but I would, <laughs> to sum it up, let people know who you are and don't be ashamed of being both. Or if you're mixed with three things or, you know, or just, if you're just one, like be both or be all that you are, because a lot of people want to put you in a category. And uh, even like with what I do as a performer, I can't just do one thing. I, and I, I related almost to maybe being mixed, you know, like maybe, I don't know, God was like, she can't choose one thing. So we're going to just make her two races, you know, and, and she'll like do a million other things <laughs> as a career. So there you go. Be proud. That is, <laughs> that is a word of wisdom, absolutely. Um, well, Mia, I'm looking at the clock and I can see that we've just got a little bit of our time together, but before we go, I just wanna make sure that you know, you're able to you know, get your website, social media handles out there for anybody who wants to follow your career and all the things that you're doing and all the fabulous wigs and costumes. <laughs> 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 so you wanna tell everybody where to follow you, where to find you? Sure, um, on Instagram, my handle is the real Mia Athey and my website is miaathey.com. On Facebook, I believe it's Mia the Mezzo. And yeah, I think that's I think that's everything. Everywhere you can find me and follow me. All right. Dope. Well, and all of that. Oh, one oh. more question. Other yes. than Carmen, though, do you have any upcoming projects yes. that you'd like yes. to shout out? So there's um oh wait, I I don't there's something coming up. I can't say it yet. Um, so there is something. So uh, be on the lookout. If you follow me on social media, I will be posting it there very soon. Um, otherwise, the hustle is very real. So mm -hmm. I'm not here. But <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody go follow Mia on all of her channels. Um, you know, go look at her website. So to get news for this upcoming top secret project can't wait to see what that is and also uh carmen is running until the 22nd it is currently at the ordway center for the performing arts in st paul so go to uh mnopera.org and get your tickets and go see mia 
are on stage. Um, so Mia, thank you so much for being here with us. We're honored to be in your presence. Thank you. It's, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you. And we will be right back. And we are back. <laughs> and it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Hit it, page or one. It's <laughs> okay, you see, you usually do like a. One, I know, two, I know, I know. I'm, I'm one, off. Two, three, I was, off. I was so. off. I was off. I was off. Just sing the song. Just sing the song. It's peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Mmm, <laughs> it's more delicious when it's weird. <laughs> Oh my goodness, but this is the segment where we shout out some Black things, people, places, concepts, ideas um, that are making us happy this week. Um, So I will turn it over to whoever wants to go first. I'll jump in because I'm real excited about my PB&J. It is uh, Lizzo. Thank you, Queen Lizzo, Mm -hmm. for gifting us not only with the new shapewear line, shout out to that, keeping us <laughs> snatched out here, but also because of your show, Watch Out for the Big Girls. Mm, I love y'all. Show. Isn't it so? It's so good. good. Oh my gosh. So it is good. like for someone who has been a big girl all her life, it is like therapeutic it is joy it is mm-hmm. church i will probably rewatch it <laughs> first of all i just loved the name because yeah. watch out for the big girls used to be my song still i my had song. a little group of friends who were all like thicker girls when i was like younger and we would dance to it we would like make a little team and say watch out for the big girls <laughs> like, <it> was- <laughs> So that alone brought memories and to just, I mean, to once see all this talent, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's very apparent, like how much raw talent we missing out on when people with bigger bodies are counted out. Like they were killing it from episode one. And to see also Lizzo just like encourage them Mm -hmm. to really do something different from what most reality competition shows do like she just fostered this really nurturing environment and encouraging them to grow while it is still like kind of competitive but yet not that competitive because she's like you could all get a chance to be on my tour Mm -hmm. it's like about who's ready not just a competition like if all of you are amazing and ready then I'll take all of you like I, I just I love that. I love that so much. It it's, sounds like she's like the anti-Tyra. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Even in their makeovers and mm-hmm. like honoring their consent over how they appear in photo shoots or what's happening in their makeovers, treating them so well with mm-hmm. this lovely house. So many also like 
fat people have things with food Mm -hmm. or like other people judging how we eat or feeling self-conscious. One of the most amazing things is watching her like fat girls just nourish ourselves like with quality food and not having to worry about who's plate watching or whatever or being told to be on whatever diet I'm just like yes y'all working your asses off like yeah eat a nourishing meal I'm all of it is just to watch them be nurtured and be have their talents be recognized and Lizzo just doing her thing out here and about to sell out these arenas on her Mm -hmm. tour like (laughs) work ma'am work Lizzo is my black joy like for this week and probably for all days so (laughs) (laughs) and I do have to say I mean Lizzo just is an amazing artist performer person it seems like I've never met her but it's and it just just alone just her presence on TikTok just (laughs) it just brings me joy every time she pops up on my for you page because she's doing something either incredibly virtuosic or just incredibly silly and it's just like thank goodness for her that she's in the world she's just amazing (laughs) and the penultimate episode takes place right here in minneapolis and it was kind of fun to for me to watch as a person who's new to the cities and has just not seen a lot like the way it was shot where they went the all of that was like oh i need to make sure i get out of my house and start experiencing a bit more of the region because it was also just great to see that part and all the love she got coming back to Minnesota. So it was it was a great show. And like you, Paige, I'll probably rewatch it because it was it was a fun, easy, stress-free, delightful, except sometimes when some of the girls had to go home, uh, really delightful show. The last episode, I, I don't know if you've made it to the last episode, but I Not did. Not yet. I I cried just a little bit happy tears mostly but also um it's like no don't don't send anybody home don't 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 um but I it was a great show it's really great so where is the streaming Amazon yeah oh okay I can do that and it's not fiction (laughs) 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 well I'll definitely have to check that out please do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll share two very brief pieces of pure Black joy, uh, quite local. The first one is a a huge congratulations to my husband, Damian Norfleet, and his partner, Joey Chang. They wrote a show called Rajaneer, and it was awarded a grant from New Music USA for its continued development. Super excited for them. Yay! We'll encourage all of you producing folks out there to be on the lookout for it. Hopefully it'll be at a concert hall coming your way sometime soon. So big shout to them. And my second one is to my niece, my first niece, who just yesterday turned the big one zero. Finally into the double digits. So to Princess Tiana, happy birthday. I wish I were there to share it with you and to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Good luck, because in just three years, you're going to have a teenager, and that sounds scary. Oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, Tiana. Happy birthday. (laughs) Well, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. 
day. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to our guests for being with us this week. Check out the show notes for all of the pertinent info. And uh, oh, yeah. And rate, review, give us five stars, five, cinco, sank. I don't know any other languages. <laughs> <laughs> And some words would really help us out, as usual. Um, Subscribe wherever you listen to fine podcasts. And we are the finest of the fine podcasts. (laughs) Luzo says so. Um, And share us with your friends. And write to us at thescore at mnopera.org. Send us your comments, your questions, your concerns. Um, you know, and we might read your letter on the air and, you know, concerns, we might read you on the air. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be fun. (laughs) Um, and I think that's it. Did I say everything? I think I said everything. You didn't ask if we had words of wisdom. Oh, do you have any words of wisdom? I do. Finally, if you are not registered to vote, get registered to vote. There's a lot of tomfoolery happening in the government and only we can do something about it. So go register to vote, be active, be thoughtful, and do a thing so that we are not continually acted upon in ways that make us unhappy. Yes, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. There are some distasteful things, but I feel as though fascism is the most distasteful of them all. So let's let's try and avoid that. If we can. If we can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's it for us. We will be back in two weeks uh, as as usual. And until then, uh, be easy, y'all. Bye. Bye.